Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. And we're going to have a few minutes together speaking about the imposter syndrome. I felt like an imposter doing this this morning because um, when I normally have done webinars, I set it up on my laptop and I've never done a, a lengthy or a longer uh, live IG. So I can't hold it in my hand. I'll get arm ache and I can't hold it in my hand and read anything. So I'm, I realized about 10 minutes ago that I need to prop this phone up so it doesn't keep slipping. And it just kept slipping and it wouldn't stay still. So I even got the blue tack out <laughs> to try and make the phone stand still. So I only tell you that to tell you uh, not a lot of imposter syndrome here going on, but I thought I am an imposter even trying to do this video. I can't get the freaking phone to stand up straight. I've been doing this for years and I still have blue tack moments. So be encouraged if you are in the beginnings of your uh, social media efforts and you have a blue tack stage, uh, it doesn't necessarily ever leave you. <laughs> Always have blue tack close by as I think the model of that story. Well, let's get into a little bit of this uh, teaching with you guys on um, the imposter syndrome. I don't even if you're familiar with the term, I wasn't until some years ago when I was studying um, this and it came up in a search that I did online, this term imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon or imposterism or fraud syndrome that tells you a little bit about uh, all those words, uh, the neighborhood of what this issue is for us as humans. 70% of us um, struggle with this apparently. So basically, if you're human, raised by humans, which I guess most of you on here are, <laughs> you never know who's watching. Because I, I saw a monkey, seriously, on Instagram, I saw a monkey on an iPhone scrolling through Instagram looking at pictures. So if the monkey's on board this morning, then I welcome you and you are probably immune from imposter syndrome because you're not a human nor were you raised by humans. So I'm allowing for those... Uh, creatures to be online this morning. So most of us, however, 70% of us struggle with imposter syndrome. Um, the sense of we are not enough, the sense that we are not who they think we are. We are not good enough. We don't measure up. We don't match up. And we are tormented by thinking that's what they think all the time about us. Um, it especially... Uh, hits people that could be classed as high achievers in life, leaders that are in front of the pack, um, who we assume have got it all figured out and uh, they feel they have to behave like they've got it all figured out when at times they really haven't and they feel they should have. And I've gone through this many times as a leader that I think, you know, I should be doing better than this. I should know better than this. These people are looking to me but I don't have the answers. I'm not sure what to do next. And so certainly as a leader, 
I've had many imposter syndrome experiences where I felt um, I'm the wrong person for this job because if I was the right person for the job, I should have the answers and know what I'm doing. Um, it affects people, especially who work alone, uh, like me and like many of you guys that are entrepreneurs, self-employed, um, work on your own because you don't have staff or you can't afford staff and so on and so on. And I think it affects those that work alone because we have no no sounding board, nobody to bounce things off with, no, um, nobody in the room to say, what do you think of this? Um, so we tend to get trapped in our own minds about what we're doing. And if we're convinced it's not a great idea or a great product um, uh, or a great thing to say or do, then we kill it and stop it. Whereas if we had somebody to bounce it off, they'd say, no, that's brilliant. If you did this and this and this, it would be even better. And when we work alone, we don't have any, anyone to do that with. So I think we're more prone to be shut down by imposterism when we work on our own. So especially you guys today, I hope this is a help to you. Ethnic minorities, <clears throat> when I studied this, could be particularly hit by it for all the kinds of obvious reasons, I guess, there. Um, women in a man's world particularly are hit with imposter syndrome. And I feel for Theresa May, I was asked a question at the weekend about Brexit. Um, and I said, well, one of the things I do pray, not just for our government, because we're encouraged to pray for those in authority, um, is that I feel for her. I feel for her picking up this graveyard pass from David Cameron. <laughs> And um, this woman in a man's world trying to navigate through the uh, quagmire of Brexit. Major life transitions are another stage in life where imposter syndrome will hit you hard. So if you are in a major life transition, as I have been in recent years, coming out of pastoring for 30 years into what I do now, so much, I suppose, of my identity and definition and validation could have been attached to the pastoral role that I had. Fortunately, in the last 10 years or so that I figured out that I shouldn't allow that to happen. Um, so my transition was easier because I didn't feel it was an identity um, trauma, stepping away from pastoring. But I think life transitions clearly are a time where you can feel an imposter when you're trying to reinvent yourself. I'll talk a bit about a bit more about that in a minute. Uh, let me just say to give you all some comfort today, if this does, famous and very successful people suffer with imposter syndrome. I've talked about it very publicly. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, who knew that Oprah would struggle with something we mere mortals struggle with? Uh, Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, uh, President Obama, uh, Seth Godwin, Tim Ferriss, these famous authors and podcasters struggle with imposter syndrome. So we're in good company, guys, if we feel here today that this is an issue for us, which, as I say, is for most of us. Many in the Bible struggled with imposter syndrome. Um, Moses, Joseph, Gideon, Esther, Ruth, David, Jeremiah, Daniel, John the Baptist, all the apostles and the apostle Paul, so we are also in good spiritual company if we suffer from imposter syndrome. And I guess it's worth me telling you those names in, in, in famous showbiz circles or, or people that are very successful 
uh, in media or marketing or publishing or authors or politicians and Bible characters to say to you that fame and fortune or being a servant of God is not immunity from imposter syndrome. That success, you would think, would remove you from this struggle that we have with feeling that we are not up to it, that we are not enough. But if Oprah struggles with that and still at her stage of life, and I would think that was that would be attached to her for new ventures, new opportunities, maybe doing something different and usual, um, where she's particularly on the line and reputation or she's fronting something in a stronger way than other things she does, then she is not immune from imposter syndrome. So don't give yourself a hard time uh, today about that because you're in good company. And being a servant of God, you know, being a Christian, being a believer, and many of you that follow me are, um, don't give yourself a hard time uh, because many of our spiritual heroes struggle big time with imposter syndrome. I mean, just read Moses and Joseph and Gideon's life. Jeez, massive imposter syndrome. They, I bet they wish they had this live Instagram back then to listen to me to help them figure out what it is to call what they were going through. Um, so being a servant of God, being a believer, being in a great church, knowing your Bible, loving God, um, is no immunity from imposter syndrome. So don't feel that you should have figured that out by now just because you are a Christian. Now, Wikipedia told me that the term imposter syndrome was invented in 1978, so quite recent, guys, by a psychologist called Dr. Pauline Clance, a clinical psychologist called Dr. Pauline Clance. And she described it this way. It's a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud, despite evidence of your competence or success. Those exhibiting the syndrome remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve the success they've had. Proof of their success is dismissed as just luck or um, timing or chance or charm or you had connections, you are popular, someone helped you or as a result of deceiving others into thinking that they are more intelligent or capable than they actually are. That's a good description of what the imposter syndrome is. Um, and it's interesting that she discovered, as I just said a moment ago about Oprah and others, that despite proof and evidence that you are competent and that you are successful, it makes no difference to this nagging sense of um, I'm not good enough, um, I'm not competent, and my own fraud cops are going to arrest me anytime soon. I can hear them coming to arrest me to say you're busted, stop being the great pretender and making people think that you are more educated, um, more trained, um, that you are more ready, that you are more expert, uh, than you actually are. This has been huge for me in my transition. I remember when I stopped pastoring and started doing the communication masterclass that I do around the world, I went to do um, three of them in Indonesia, a Muslim country, as many of you know. And just before I went to do the masterclass, which was sponsored by the Jakarta Journal newspaper, an English-speaking newspaper there, who was sponsoring the event, 
Um, someone said to me that was part of the sponsoring body of people, this is a Muslim country, so really you should avoid speaking about Jesus, God, the Bible, or church. Um, <laughs> and I'm just about to uh, get up and speak to this room full of CEOs and and bank presidents and people from the corporate world. It's a completely secular corporate event. And the head of uh, Nike Indonesia was there and the Coca-Cola top people were there and so on and so on. And they told me just before I went on, you know, and they mentioned names of people that have been there before me. Some of which I hadn't heard of, one of which I had, which is Don Maxwell. And I thought, well, John Maxwell would have set the bar high. And I guess John would have figured out by now how to speak about a thing without uh, referring to his church background, which he had as a pastor like me. But I found this out, you know, 20 minutes before I went on. And all my material it had many references in it. And many much of the media I was going to use had references to to Bible concepts or to Bible characters or to church life and the language of church, church leadership or elders or small groups or kids church um, or preaching um, or counseling or and through the day speaking about communication, so much of what I would speak about would effortlessly use that language. So having a 20 minute warning, don't use any of that language was terrifying to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I already feel intimidated by all these corporate people here because the first time I'd stepped outside the church world to speak about anything and they've all paid to come and it's sponsored by this proper posh <laughs> intellectual newspaper. So I'm in that kind of whole journalistic world. So people have come, I suppose, because of their respect for the paper assume it's going to be a great event and assume this guy is really up to it because uh, they wouldn't have chosen me if not. And all that's in my head and self-talk like it is for many of you guys. And then within 20 minutes, I'm told, don't mention any of that stuff that are all my default languages. So I literally got up and had to speak six hours. That's the masterclass length, six hours all day in my head on the spot because I had no chance to change the material in my head, toggle switching between, I'm going to mention Moses here. This is what I mentioned Moses. <laughs> so I go, I'd, and instead I go, as Moses said, or after Moses, I'd go, Nelson Mandela said, or what Nelson, Nelson Mandela found out, and I'm switching to Mandela when it would have been Moses, hoping that the analogy is still held up by M M Mandela. Or I'd speak about pastors and in my head I would say uh, leaders and talk about leaders. Or I'd be speaking about ch church and I'd say, you know, tribes, our various tribes, our various groups, the various different um, people groups in the world. And I started using all this language on the spot to try and make the same point. You know, one thing I found out, which is not a bad thing, and I teach this in communication around the world, especially to people from a church speaking background and pastors, especially as was I, that it, it was it taught me how much I rely on church language to say a thing well and Bible language. And I think I've become a better communicator without relying on the crutch of Bible and church language to say a thing well. And I think if you can't say a thing well without defaulting to, you know, Moses 
um, or the elders or church language or fellowship or worship or preaching, if we can't say things well without using those analogies and metaphors and language, then I don't think we're as good a communicator as we could be. So that kicked um, the rug from under my feet in Indonesia. It was so good for me. And I look back and it was terrifying, but it was so good for me. And um, in your imposter syndrome fears, I hope you'll have something like that, that proves to you, actually, you're smarter and better um, and more adaptable than you think you are. Because I came out feeling, yeah, I demand, when I thought I did it, I nailed it for six hours with no notice at all. I taught communication masterclass without all of that stuff I've been teaching it from for several years before I did the one in Indonesia. Um, and I crave the comfort of church and of that pe those people in the room smiling kindly on my side. None of these people knew me and were just there like, go ahead, impress me. And they're not a very responsive culture out there. So I didn't know whether or not anything was enjoyable for them that day. So sometimes the faces of the people and the looks, if looks could kill, you would run out with imposter syndrome and be so terrified. Let me say something at this point about ego and the place ego, I think, plays in imposter syndrome. Because the job of the ego is to protect us, to protect our identity, often false identity. It is to keep you safe, to keep you protected from the big bad people out there that don't understand you, don't appreciate you, don't love you, don't celebrate you. Um, and I think the the ego's job in Indonesia would have been to tell me these people are the wrong people. These people um, are not who you should be talking to. These people should not be asking you to change anything. This is your product, not theirs. The ego, the ego gets you to withdraw and protect. And it's the last thing you need for imposter syndrome. Um, and I think with Tom Hanks and Denzel and Obama and Oprah and others, the ego would say to them, don't do this movie, Tom. Um, this movie is not really going to suit you. If he looks at the script and thinks, wow, this is a stretch for me. Who would have thought Tom Hanks would think that? And he would feel out of his depth a little bit. And is this too complicated? And should I do this movie building on the huge reputation he's got of great movies? Um, I think the ego would say to Tom Hanks or whoever, don't do this, mate. You know, this is not your thing. Um, this won't let you shine to your best. Or they don't understand really uh, what you're particular strong skill set is, or they wouldn't have offered you this movie. I don't know what the self-talk of these famous people are, but it is the ego that generates that. And what you don't want to do with imposter syndrome is let your ego protect this identity you have of you to keep it intact so that nothing unpleasant happens to your, to your fragile sense of, um, I'm not who they think I am. And so I'm not going to do this and prove that I'm not who they think I am. I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. You will miss so many opportunities that you should have stepped up and taken that your ego will protect you from. And you don't want to give in to that. So be aware that that's part of what's going on internally. It's not a good part of us that is telling us don't do it. Don't respond. Don't show up. Don't, for, don't go for the job interview. Don't take the opportunity, don't write the book, don't do the blog, don't do the post, don't do the live IG, <laughs> don't do the webinar, um, because it's not who you are, you won't do it well, you're not, you're not good in front of a camera, you're not good with words, or whatever it may be that's your challenge.
I think sometimes our nature and nurture are contributing to imposter syndrome. So I think we can grow up uh, not knowing we already have an imprinted sense of fraud syndrome in us. And I think this can happen by um, either being overdefined by school grades or being overpraised and undercoached in the nurturing part of our childhood through to our teenage years, I suppose. It lasts that long. So if you were overdefined by grades, i.e. if you didn't get good grades, you felt a failure, and parents and family kind of enforced the sense that you were a failure because we were overdefining you by grades, and of course the education system is doing that all the time, and I hate it, um, then you would have grown up with a sense of failure already, and a layer of protection goes over your soul, and the ego makes sure that's locked down because you were overdefined by grades. And if you don't feel you're going to get an A or a B, therefore you don't attempt anything. Uh, so you never attempt lots of things you should because you were raised by this obsession with getting great grades that actually um, didn't define you or us at all. Or you were overpraised and undercoached, meaning that when you were a kid, and this has been an issue, I think, for the millennial generation and the teens coming up behind them, and this is good or bad parenting to a degree. When you overpraise your kids, you know, praise as a currency. If praise was a currency, by definition, it gets undervalued if you overuse it. When you pass out praise for things that are not really worth the over-the-top praise you give someone, you know, you're awesome, you're amazing, don't worry, you know, you're brilliant, you're fantastic, you're a princess, you're a king, these things that people say to the kids these days, or they have clothing with those things set on. Um, I think all of that potential narcissism that is attached to children early on develops in kids, and I've studied this quite a bit, um, it develops in them this entitlement mentality rather than a good work ethic mentality. And so kids think that they don't need to put in effort to achieve, that they can wing it because they're brilliant, they're awesome, they're amazing. And if I fail, it's not because I didn't work hard enough, it's because you don't appreciate me and know how beautiful and what an awesome person I am and so on and so on. So I think, um, I think it's that that I want you to be aware of with uh, being overpraised and undercoached. We need to coach people into having a good work ethic rather than be lazy and just be told you're awesome anyway. So that you finish up, if you don't feel you've been applauded, then you feel you've failed. If there's not that praise that's coming that you've had all your life for doing nothing and not earning it, then the lack of applause makes you feel you've failed. And the ego jumps in on that and wants to protect you from failure or from not doing anything that's applauded. So you finish up attempting very few things in life because very few things guarantee applause up front. Um, you know, I had, I had three kids by the time I was 20. My wife and I got married at 16 and 17. And so by the time I was 20, I had three kids. We had twins when I was 19. Our first daughter, Charlotte, who many of you know, uh, was uh, born when I was 16 and my wife, 17. Talk about feeling a fraud as a father and a failure, struggling to produce for them, struggling to um, be who I was supposed to be for these kids and for my wife as, as a teenager. Um, so 
I massively struggled with that. And I felt so trapped by my early 20s in this life that I had got us all into and felt terrible when I saw others that were doing better than me um, and that had had a better life plan because I didn't plan any of that. But it was my life and I just had so much resentment and hurt and failure sense and I had a terrible job that I hated that paid me very poorly. And um, I went for a job interview to get a better job and it was an interview in a warehouse, working in a warehouse, which was similar to what I already did. And in the interview, the lady in the interview, that was there were two people, a guy that was very, you know, abrupt and strong with me and a bit intimidating. And I thought I have no chance because his manner put me off and made me feel I'm not who he wants. But there's a lovely lady that there, sat there, Mrs. Whiteley. I don't know why I remembered her name. The other day I thought, what's that lady's name? It just came to me. Mrs. Whiteley was sat there and she said, um, I think you should come back next week for an interview for a different job as a salesperson. I didn't go for a salesperson's job because I didn't think I'd get a job for a salesperson. My imposter syndrome was so bad then in my early 20s for reasons I just told you. I would not have gone for a sales job, but I would have loved a sales job because we had three kids, no car, no transportation, couldn't afford to go on the buses anywhere. So I realized a sales job would give me a car. That would be a massive game changer for our family to have a free car. Uh, so for no other reason than that, I said, I will come back next week and interview for the sales job. Then I realized, of course, sales job will be good for me because it's more in keeping with my gift, which is talking. So this Mrs. Whiteley being there at the time, if she hadn't been there, I think I'd have left and I would not have got the job based on the guy's attitude to me. And I tell you that to tell you, sometimes, sometimes you will have a Mrs. Whiteley in your life. Sometimes there'll be someone that is in the wings or is shadowing the person that is determining the outcome for you or you think they are. And the Mrs. Whiteley's of our life, or sometimes you are Mrs. Whiteley to someone, will see something in you that you don't see. Or Mr. Higgins, <laughs> that was the guy's name, just came to me now. Jeez, what a flashback. Mr. Freaking Higgins. He was the guy that was shutting me down, giving me the impression you are useless for this job, which I felt I was anyway. And Mrs. Whiteley stepped in and and intercepted him and gave me hope. There is a Mrs. Whiteley somewhere in all of your lives and she comes and goes at different times. Mrs. Whiteley's job in our lives is to see something in us that Mr. Higgins doesn't. And Mrs. Whiteley said to me, come back next week. When I went back next week, it was not Mr. Higgins, Mrs. Whiteley that interviewed me. And she was already on my side. I think from the day I saw her a week earlier, she had already decided to give me the job. Long story short, I got the job as a salesman. I got a car. I was so happy driving my family around in a car, a free car. And then I started to sell and I became the top salesman in that company for years because I had the gift of the gab. And I love people. And I learned how to be persuasive and how to serve people and customer relations and all of that was a great foundation for me stepping into pastoring some years later. So um, if you're right now an imposter syndrome is stopping you going for an opportunity, a job interview, stepping up, doing something, I pray that a Mrs. Whiteley will cross your path 
and see something in you. And instead of shooting for warehouse, you'll go up and shoot for something bigger because of the intervention of Mrs. Whiteley. God bless her. Just a few, a few types of people. If you are one of these types, this is going to bother you more than the rest of us. Um, if we're not this types, perfectionists, all you perfectionists out there, um, the imposter syndrome will really bother you. And part of what will be bother uh, complicating it is that you're not aware, and maybe you need to be, or you are aware and not aware how much this affects you more than it does the rest of us that are not perfectionists. Because perfectionists are already brutal on themselves and others. Perfectionists can get paralyzed by overthinking something and get control freaky. So imposter syndrome plus ego is going to completely paralyze you from doing anything that you don't think is going to be a perfect outcome. So if you're a perfectionist, imposter syndrome only deepens your problem by telling you, you know what, this can't be done well, it can't be done right, you will not shine to your best, other people are going to compromise it, you're relying on other people too much, you can't control this, this and this, and you get overthinking it and your perfectionism paralyzes you. Imposter syndrome and ego say, yeah, 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 don't do it, don't do it. You won't be appreciated. It won't be well. It won't be your standard. So perfectionists, beware. Imposter syndrome will really uh, be strong in you. Workaholics. Um, workaholics are addicted to validation from working rather than the work, rather than enjoying the work. We enjoy working, you know, been the first there in the morning, the last out at night. Um, and we kind of earn our validation and we earn respect by being workaholics. And if you are a workaholic, then imposter syndrome will tell you, you just need to work harder, work harder, see they respect you for being, having this work ethic, but you are exhausted and worn out and burned out trying to sustain this work ethic and your ego tells you, yeah, this is good, be like that because nobody works as hard as you around here. They're all lazy compared to you. So workaholics, watch out for the mix of that and imposter syndrome. Expert fixation is the way I want to say this, um, that you are um, obsessed with qualifications, that you think if I have more qualifications, uh, more diplomas, more degrees, more educational prowess, then I will be respected more. So you're always pursuing more qualifications. You think more letters after your name, more certificates on the wall um, will make you not feel an imposter, but it won't make any difference because you are dealing with a separate issue that the imposter syndrome feeds off and your ego feeds off, with this, which is a fixation with you know, qualifications. So if you're, a, if you're a, an expert fixation person, I need more qualifications to prove I'm an expert, then that could be a whole nother ball game that entrenches your imposter syndrome. All right, I'm going to give you five quick ways to, to overcome imposter syndrome. Number one, focus on providing value. That's all you need to do, guys. Focus on providing value. Don't focus on how you need a blue tack to set your phone up so who do you think you are? Because you're using blue tack. A Tony Robbins doesn't do that. An Oprah doesn't do that. They have camera people and lighting people and makeup people. Here you are in your office at home with blue tack. <laughs> I got to focus on, I'm adding value to you guys today. 
uh, I got to get past the blue tack embarrassment and tell you about it, which helps me do that. And it kills my ego. When I tell you about the blue tack, my ego goes, darn it, he told him about blue tack. I can't use the blue tack thing to protect him from vulner being vulnerable now and, and pretend he's Tony Robbins. Pretend he's got people filming him. He's got help. He's trying to wedge his phone up by himself with blue tack. Ah, oh, don't tell them that. Telling people that and being authentic gives your ego a shut up, leave me alone message. And that's really good for the ego. But focus on providing value because that's what you all can do. Um, it's not about you. It's about serving others. So one way you can overcome imposter syndrome um, is to focus on, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to do the best I can do today. I'm going to help somebody. I'm going to say something, post something, say something to someone, be something to someone, be somewhere for someone. I'm just going to provide value. If you'll keep doing that, imposter syndrome will get lower and lower in its volume because it knows it's not stopping you getting out what's in you. You may not do it well. You'll do it better as you go. It may be a blue tack stage for you. <laughs> just focus on adding value. Second, accept that you add some role in your and other success. And especially if you feel... You know, well, you were a silver spoon in your mouth, born person. People sort of imply that to us. You had help. You had an advantage, whether it was socially or financially or, or through connections, you had advantage. <clears throat> you can feel that because you had help, that what you're doing is not really on your own merits. And that's not true because somewhere in this, you still had to decide to step up. You still had to do something scared. You still have to step away from the support structure and risk being disliked and risk being misunderstood and risk being misread. So somewhere you need to take some credit for your role and for what you've done to date and for your success and the part you've played in someone else's success. Doing that will reduce this sense of this sense of imposter syndrome shouting that you've got nothing worthy of contributing because you did and you have and you are. Number three, keep a record of people's nice things about you that say about you. Keep a record of the nice comments people say about you, whether it's on social media or to your face um, or any mail texting you get, something, you know, just note it. Don't just delete it, swipe past it. Collect your wins. Collect your little wins, the things that people say to you. You know what? Your imposter syndrome will say to you, your ego will say to you, well, they don't mean that or you don't really deserve that. Or, That's not really true. If they really knew so and so and so, they wouldn't say that to you. So you lose the win and you feel um, no value, no benefit. And you're not helped by what we wanted to help you with when we said that to you. So keep a record of the nice comments people say to you and believe them. Believe them is one way to silence and lessen the impact and the hold of imposter syndrome. Number four, stop comparisons. Hello. Stop comparing yourself to other people who, when you look at them, like I just mentioned, a few others in my mind that came to mind, Tony Robbins and others, I don't know, who probably do this all the time and have, you know, millions of dollars budget to do it well. You're equivalent to that in your world when whatever you're doing on that day, you think, well, she would do it. You know, Susan would be all over this. I'm so embarrassed. I'm glad she's not here. I'm glad she didn't hear me say it that way or do it that way. So-and-so is a best-selling author. I'm embarrassed to even attempt to think of myself as an author or whatever it may be. I'm not going to go for that job interview because you know what? Um, I, I've heard so-and-so is going for the job interview. You know, I heard the ad John Maxwell, Indonesia. Just forget it. Stop comparing yourself. 
Um, and, you know, some of you need to uh, delete from your social media, Instagram, whatever it is, where you look on Instagram, Facebook. You need to delete from your feed anything that comes up that does not enrich you, that doesn't add value to you. Don't have stuff in your social media feed that when you see it, it enforces this comparison thing in you. Um, don't do that to yourself. You don't need to. So I think you need to be proactive about comparison, not just, you know, occasional, intentional about it. Be proactive and get out of your world things that are enforcing your sense of how far behind you think you are when you watch what they're doing or hear how they said it. And finally, I've called this deathbed regrets. You know, on your deathbed, I read the top five regrets of people dying recently. And two of them are not following my dreams and not being me. There you go. On your deathbed, you will not be crying about um, you only got 10 likes for your post on Instagram. Or you didn't get nice comments when you felt you deserved them. On your deathbed in your top five is going to be something to do with I didn't get out what was in me. So don't become one of those people. An imposter syndrome will stop you getting out what's in you. And I want you to overcome it and to beat it because the world needs what you have. All right. Love and blessings to you guys. Have a fantastic day. Hope this helped you. Let me know in the comments if it helped you. Give me a bit of feedback and we will do this again from time to time if this is okay or we'll go back to webinars or do both. I don't know. I just want to find a way to get out with you guys uh, what you need to hear. All right. Love you. Go be strong. Get out what's in you. Don't let imposter syndrome shut you down. It matters too much. We need, we freaking need what you've got out into the world. Love you. Have a great day. Hey guys, just want to let you know about a resource that I'm making available to everyone called Aging Well. It is a video series, almost 11 hours in length, over 60 videos. And it covers aging well in five areas. Aging well physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally and generationally it has a ebook that goes with it it also has a q a and workbook that comes with it i think you guys are going to find it a real addition to your personal growth investment i hope you'll enjoy it you're going to find it at gbpacademy.com